Well, it is good being with you today, and uh, Pastor Jeff is, uh, is speaking elsewhere this morning. And as you know, Pastor Jeff's been going through, for the last several weeks, the book of Genesis. And I'm going to give you a little commercial, but coming up soon, in like a week, Pastor Jeff's going to be talking about marriage as it relates to the book of Genesis. So you'll want to be here for that, all right? Make sure you say, okay, he's going to be doing some, some uh, discussions on marriage. And uh, we all need that. We all need uh, to understand God's, God's perspective of marriage. It's going to help us. It's going to help build, uh, build our families. But before we get there, Jeff and I were talking. He said, you know what we need to do? Before we get to marriage, it's back to school. Maybe what we should do is just do something. Maybe, Denny, can you, can you do kind of like a, a, a one-off talk on parenting? And I was like, sure. I can do it. I mean, I'm not a great parent, but f- absolutely, right? Um, I mean, I'm an okay parent. We all, we all think we're not very good parents. Isn't that right? I mean, parents, we look in the mirror and we're like, man, you could be so much better. I watch that show, This Is Us. I don't know if you do. Uh, sorry, but I do. And every time I see that dad on there, I'm like, man, I wish I was that dad. He is so good. He always has the right words to say. And that, that's not me. But I do have three kids. But not only do I have three kids that I'm trying to raise in, in uh, what I hope will, will be a way that's pleasing to God. But I'm trying, but I also, uh, you know, I've been in ministry for almost 25 years. And for about 12 of those years, I dealt with college students. So I dealt with the aftermath or the product of poor parenting. <laughs> so I've seen what parents can do. And um, and let me tell you, I think this picture right here kind of, kind of typifies where we're at right now in our family system. So we were out to dinner the other day, and let me show you this picture. We got mom on her cell phone to the right. We have the daughter on an iPad with earphones on, by the way, watching a movie, and grandma's sitting there going, who's talking to me? Like, has no idea what's going on. I mean, she's like, I- I'm just sitting here. And they literally, for over an hour, sat there just like that and ate their dinner. I wanted to be like, are you kidding me? And, um, and, and I, what I really wanted to say was like, listen, get off your devices. It's killing the American household. Like, get your head out of the app, right? And come back here and be a part of what the family's doing, right? <laughs> Parents, you can thank me for that later. Interestingly enough, though, as I took this picture, I did not even realize. But let's zoom out. That's Pastor Joe Lanzalotti right there. I mean, our own Pastor Joe was in my picture. I didn't know he was there. Isn't that crazy? But look at him. Leo ain't got no device. He ain't talking to his girlfriend on the phone. He's talking to dad. Now, listen, you're thinking we're talking about parenting today. And, uh, man, I I don't have kids. You may have kids someday. You may be thinking, Denny, we've done that. <laughs> done, right? They're gone. We're grandparents now. We, we paid our dues. Let me tell you, it takes a village to raise a child. So we need you as well, parents. And some of you may be students who are sitting in here, and you're like, this, all you're going to be doing is talking about me the whole time. Yeah, we are. So it's okay. But what you need to be listening for is how God parents you as a student. Because what we're going to be looking at is really how God parents all of us. And if this is how God parents us, this is how we should be parenting our kids. Now, this is what is always disappointing about parenting, as I'm coming to find out, is that if we're parenting to control the outcome of our children's lives, we will always be frustrated. We will always be frustrated. But secular parenting, you walk through the bookstore 
And every self-help book that you're going to get almost on parenting, almost everyone, is going to be about controlling the outcome of the lives of your kids. It's going to be about behavior modification. It's going to be about having happy, well-adjusted children who are going to contribute to society. And so there's some, you know, there's some ideas out there of how that can take place. But let me tell you something. Most of them are parenting towards outcomes. And anytime we parent towards outcomes, we will always be frustrated because we as parents, we want to believe that I, my word is the last word, that I'm going to have the final word in this. Nope. Your children will always have the last word. Because, see, you can't actually make the decisions for your kids. You, you, they have a free will. They can make their own decisions. And just when you think you kind of have it all under control... Something goes haywire, and you get frustrated. And a couple things can happen here when it comes to um, trying to control the outcomes of our children. One is our kids may actually end up pretty good. And you're going to sit there and go, <laughs> look what I did. Amazing. I should be the one doing the parenting class at church. Or you feel like you did everything right controlling the whole outcome, trying to control the outcome. And your kids, they don't land so well. And then you think, what did I do wrong? What we have to remember in all this is that in parenting, there are no perfect parents. There are no perfect kids. But God's grace is sufficient. Where he is weak, where we are weak, he is strong. I say that to myself almost every morning when I wake up and I think about myself as a parent. I am not perfect, but God, may your grace be sufficient. May your grace be sufficient. But what we must learn as parents is this. You might want to write it down. We cannot control the landing of our children. We can only control the launch. You can only control the launch. That's the only thing you have control of is the environment that you are setting up as they grow older. The environment that you are creating you can be a part of the launch, but ultimately they're going to make the decisions they're going to make. They're going to control their own landing. You can't control that. You can't control that. So if we can't control the actual landing, but we can be a part of controlling the launch, then, 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 then kind of what are some of the ingredients to this? And I would say that God's parenting and, and, and what we should be moving towards is as we are parenting our children, we are always pointing them to true north. True north being God's word. It's the only thing that's unwavering. It's the only thing that will not change. It's the only thing that actually gives life. It's the only thing that actually gives wisdom. It's the only thing that can look at the face of this culture and say, it is steady and it is true. It is true. So we point them to true north. Let's, let's open our Bibles together to Psalm 19. Psalm 19, David writes this. In Psalm 19, David is writing in um, kind of the first portion of this passage. David is giving a, uh, David is basically giving a defense to who God is. Israel is where they're at, is they're encamped around, um, many other nations are all around them. And they all have different gods. 
And sometimes there's a temptation by the Israelites to think to themselves, you know, maybe, maybe we, what does that God to have offer? What does that God have, have to offer? And David is writing in Psalm 19, and he gives a, a defense to who God is, verses 1 through 6. He, he, he tells them that they're the chosen one. And, and, in, this, and in this defense to God, he, he basically says that all of creation declares the glory of God. All of creation declares the mightiness of God, the holiness of God, the power of God. But there's one thing that, the de- that, de- that creation does not declare. Creation does not declare redemption, the story of redemption. It does not declare the Savior. It does not declare what eternity means. So he turns his perspective to verse 7. And now he begins to point the people of Israel to true north. And this is what he says. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is true, is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine than gold. Sweeter are also than honey of the drippings of the honeycomb. So David is writing and he's saying, listen, let me tell you what's true. Let me tell you what what gives life. Let me tell you what is steady. Let me tell you what what, what is that is sweeter than the honeycomb. Let me tell you what what is life-giving, what is what, what will never change. He says, what will never change is God's word. It will never change. It's the one that revives. It's what gives life. And so as we parent, we are constantly always moving our children towards true north. Not just to our preferences. How many arguments do you want to have about the length of hair? Should he wear skinny jeans or should he not? Like, you can have those arguments, but I'm just going to tell you, I don't think it's worth it when there's bigger things at stake. If he loves Jesus and he loves the word of God, then let him wear the skinny jeans. Let him do it. Because why? I don't want to point him towards the preferences, my preferences. I want to point him towards true north. I want to point him towards God's word. And in the middle of this, as I'm parenting my children, I'm always moving them to say, what does God say? What does God do? What, what does God desire? And if I can, see, the real question is this. Do we want to raise well-adjusted, happy children? Or do we want to raise mighty warriors for the sake of the kingdom? Depending on how you answer that question depends on how you parent. If you want well-adjusted kids, happy, everything's right, the world revolves around them, they're like little Kardashians, then you know what? Do what secular parenting teaches. Control, hover, helicopter, right? Be on the defensive. God's Parent strategy in parenting and model of parenting is not defensive parenting. It's offensive parenting. 
See, all throughout Scripture, true north, all throughout Scripture, what we find is that God is referred, we are to refer to God as our Father, right? We can call Him Abba Father. We can call Him Papa. He's our Father. He was the Father of Israel. He's the Father of us as Christ's followers. He is the perfect Father. But all throughout Scripture, as the perfect Father, guess who He's parenting? He's parenting us. So if we can understand maybe how God parents us, maybe it would give us an understanding of how we should be parenting our children. Right? And so what's God's parenting style? What's God's parenting model? God's parenting model is always on the offensive, not on the defensive. He is thinking through always in our life, what do I need in my life now to be prepared for the great challenge of the future? And so if all we're doing is parenting children to be happy, secure, protected, everything goes their way, and, you know, they're well-adjusted, if that's what we're doing, we are creating children that are self-centered and they are woefully ill-prepared for the future and the challenges they're actually going to meet in this world. And so God, when we look at how God parents us, I think there's a few principles. There's many, but I just only want to highlight three. Three principles that I think that as we look at how God parents us, that maybe we can say, if this is how God parents me as a Christ follower, then what does that mean for me as I parent my child towards true north? What does that mean for me? First off, first lesson that we see in Scripture is that God's parenting strategy is insulation, not isolation. God's parenting strategy is insulation, not isolation. Look what Jesus says in John, in, in John 17. He's praying for all of his disciples. He's about to leave, right? And it's his, it's his prayer over his disciples, and this is what he prays. I have given them your word. I've given them true north. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And I do not ask you that you take them out of the world. I don't ask you for you to isolate them, take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. This is how God parents us. This is how God parents us, the church. God, God's desire for the church is not that we isolate and become a holy huddle. God's desire and God's parenting style for the church is not isolation, it's insulation. I'm not gonna take you out of the world, but guess what? I will protect you from the evil one, so I'm gonna insulate you, but I'm not going to isolate you. He says, go and be in the world, but what? Not of the world. So he's not calling us to be, you know, to, to, to live in a monastery secluded from all of life. Like, that's not what God calls his people to. God calls us to engage the culture, engage my neighbor, engage those who are desperate and need a savior, engage those who, yes, are sinners. We engage, we engage, we don't isolate. And Jesus said, I'm not, I'm not praying that we take you out of the world. I need you in the world because I need a city on the hill. I need salt and I need light, right, on this earth. So I'm not gonna isolate you, but I'm gonna make sure that the evil one cannot harm you. Isn't that a great promise? In fact, Jesus even says that there's going to be trials, that there's going to be persecution. He tells his disciples this, like, you will be persecuted. You may even die for the sake of me. But guess what? Not a hair on your head will be harmed. So I guess you can lose your life for the sake of the gospel, but you're going to have good-looking hair when you do it. <laughs> like, that's his promise to us. 
And so as he calls the church not to isolate, and as he calls us as Christ's followers not to isolate, that's how he parents us. Should we not also learn from his parenting style with us to say, what does that mean for the life of my kid? He hasn't called me to isolate my kid, but insulate my child. I insulate him. I was walking around Petco yesterday and um, getting dog food. And uh, I saw this thing on this aisle. It was like a little glass bowl, uh, ball. And it's a gerbil ball. It's a hamster ball. Have you guys seen this? It, I, I don't know. I, I don't like rodents in my house. But assuming you may have like a German or a hamster, I don't know. You can take it. You can put it inside this plastic, clear plastic ball. And you can let them just kind of roam freely. Like all through your house. I know. It, it's strange. I don't get it. But they can just kind of run. And, and this ball actually protects them. So they run into the refrigerator, boom, they're fine. You know, they just keep going. You know, they're just running, 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 running. Hit the couch, hit the, hit the washer, dryer. I mean, they just run. They just do whatever. And they're totally fine. They're completely isolated from the dangers out there. Well, okay, now let's take the gerbil out of the ball and let them run in the refrigerator. See how that goes. See, God's always on the offensive. He's like, I'm not going to isolate you, but I will insulate you. But I'm going to teach you things now so that you don't hit the refrigerator. Like, I, I'm not. And so with our kids, with our kids, what do we do? We don't isolate. See, I play in a church at the University of Texas. And uh, years ago, seems like years ago at this point, but I, I've seen it all day. I, parents, let me just tell you, I have seen it. Kids who grow up at quality churches like Woods Edge and other churches all across the state who get to the University of Texas. And the reality is, is that we parented them in such a way that there is behavior modification. Secular parenting is all about behavior modification. If I can just control the behavior. Gospel-centered parenting isn't about behavior modification. It's about heart transformation. It's about heart transformation. If all we do is parent with behavior modification, what happens is they go to a university like the University of Texas that we all know needs Jesus. And they get to the University of Texas, and all of a sudden, authority is gone. And when authority is gone, what else is also gone? Rules are gone. And when authority and rules are gone, what happens? Man, they just go off the grid. They no longer are following Jesus. And we say, what happened? I tried to make sure everything, I mean, they were good here. They were. It goes back to this. True north. We're going for heart transformation. We're going for heart transformation. And in the middle of this, we don't want to isolate, but we do want to insulate. That's how God works with us. He's not going to isolate you from trials or challenges, but he's going to make sure that the enemy won't harm you. Right? But you're still going to have to walk through them. Number two, 
God's primary parenting objective is preparation, not protection. It's preparation, not protection. It's not protection. James chapter 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. James is writing to us, and as God parents us, guess what? He lets difficult times come into our life, right? He lets it come into our life. It's these trials. It's these difficult challenges that we have that that Scripture says that we should consider it joy because in this, he's actually maturing me. In this, he's actually growing me. And, And God's parenting style is not, I'm not, my objective is not to just protect you, but is to prepare you, is to prepare you for what's ahead. It's all about preparation. It's all about preparation. I, I read this article yesterday um, on, uh, on a news website, and uh, it just was published yesterday. It's an article about the lawnmower parent. Have you heard of this parent? I just heard of this parent. I like it. Lawnmower parent. You know, let me tell you what the lawnmower parent is. Lawnmower parent, basically, their whole job in parenting is to mow down any obstacle their child has so that they can be happy. That's it. Some of you laugh, but like I, I find myself doing this sometimes. This is what they said about the lawnmower parent. Dr. Kevin Lamont, your child needs to learn to struggle and fail. They need to feel the sting of their mistakes sometimes. Are you always happy? No. (laughs) Why should your child always be happy? You're presenting an unrealistic picture of what life is like. An unhappy child, an unhappy child is actually a healthy child. A failure is actually a step, a step on the road to success. Meanwhile, one professor of educational psychology says that such coddling and parenting can only stand to harm a child's long-term development. It's actually true. How many of you have found yourself in this position? Since school just started, maybe you find yourself in this position today. Your student comes home and they, all they're saying is, my teacher is so mean, so strict, angry. You've had those conversations. And you're like, oh, it's just the first couple days. You know, it'll be fine. But it's been like three or four weeks now. And they're coming home and they're saying, they're, man, you know, mom, dad, this teacher is just mean. And so you say, you know, well, what are we going to do? So you're like, well, let's set up a parent-teacher conference. So you set up the parent-teacher conference. Dad, you say, listen, I got this. I'll, I got this. Let, let me take some leadership here. So you go to the parent-teacher conference, you have your meeting, you come back home, and the wife says, how did it go? And you sit there and you're like, you, you know, you're not going to believe this. She's like, what? Our, our kid's right. That teacher, he is the angriest, meanest, middle-aged person I have ever met in my life. What do you do? Secular parenting says you lawn mow it over. Secular parenting would say you ask for a transfer. You get him in a new class. You, you get that teacher out of there or you get your student out of there. You go to a new school. Right? That's not what 
I don't think that's what God's parenting says. I think God's parenting would say, you know what? We're leaving them in the class. Let me tell you why. Because someday they're going to have a boss that's going to be mean and angry. That's the real world. And so I'm going to prepare them today for that moment. Even worse, someday you as a parent, when they get to their teen years and you take away an iPhone or you say, hey, you're grounded, guess what? All of a sudden you're the mean one. And what have we said to them? Anytime someone's mean and you don't like it, we teach them to run away. Because we're just going to mow the problem over. Well, now you're the mean one. So in their mind, well, you've just taught me just to run away. Even worse. Someday God's going to have to discipline that child when they're 25, 30 years old with godly discipline. And all of a sudden, God becomes the mean one. God becomes the one who's difficult and angry. So what I learned from my parents was I just get out of the situation and I run. Parenting is about preparation. It's about preparation. It's about having those conversations today that are going to be challenges for the future. So, I'm going to teach my son at a young age to respect, honor, and not objectify women when he doesn't even like girls. So that when he does like girls, he'll get it. And if you have a son that you haven't had those conversations with yet, you're behind. Because this is what's going to happen. Either the culture can control the messaging or you can control the messaging. I mean, I've had plenty of awkward conversations with my preteen, my boy. And, you know, it wasn't too long ago. We spent two hours on a road trip and all we talked about was girls. And he doesn't like girls, but we did the whole thing. And it was awkward. It was awkward. That's why I did it in the truck so I didn't have to look at him. I could just, (laughs) you know, like, and he didn't want to look at me. About halfway through, I go, Trip, is this embarrassing you? He's like, Dad, I'm beyond embarrassed. And I'm like, good. That's good. Why? Because I don't want someone else telling my kid God's perspective. So I'm going to prepare them now for the situations that they're going to have in the future. I'm not going to wait till then. It's going to be too late. I'm going to tell them now before they get in third grade about appropriate use of language before they hear the four-letter words at school. Because if I can instill in them now before they actually hear those words, folks, they're going to hear the words if they haven't already heard them. Culture will come crashing in on their shores at some point. We have to prepare them for it now. It's about preparation. In Jesus, in the Father, how he prepares, how he parents us is I'm going to prepare you The trials, the challenges is for your good. So consider it joy. Consider it joy. Third lesson. God's method is exposing without overwhelming. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. 
No temptation has ever overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will always provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. You see that? God doesn't take away the temptation. He doesn't take away the trials. He doesn't take away the challenges. He doesn't lawn mow this stuff down as he parents us. He says, it's going to be there, but the promise I give you is that you will never be overwhelmed. You will never be overwhelmed. Yeah, you're going to walk in and you're going to be challenged. You're going to have to walk through a trial. The word temptation here doesn't just mean temptation as you're thinking about it. It means trials. It means difficulty. He says, you're going to endure it and it's going to be okay because the promise I give you is I'm never actually going to overwhelm you. But I am going to expose you, but I'm not going to overwhelm you. Our job as parents is to not, not, not to, uh, is to make sure that Yes, we expose in a way that's not overwhelming. It's not overwhelming. I remember uh, this past summer was the summer of learn how to swim in, in our house for my uh, little five-year-old scout. And uh, we paid for the, you know, we got her a little swim coach person and took her over there. And she had maybe two weeks of lessons. And, and we would go out as a family and swim. And I realized that every time we went swimming, she would just hang on the wall. You know, the monkey crawl, I think they call it. And they just kind of crawl around the edges. And I'm like, Scout, come out here and swim. No, I'm having fun. You know, can't be that fun. Come on out. No, 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 I'm good. You know, went out for like a week or two. Finally, I was like, hey, uh, you know, Bridget, let, I'm going to take Scout to swim lessons this week. Okay, great. Really what I'm thinking is I'm going to get a refund. <laughs> so I take little Scooter to, to, to swim lessons and uh, they, they did their thing. And, you know, I saw them. They... She would float, and they, you know, had them like that, and she's floating. And then they would, she would swim across the pool, and they're walking along beside of her and, and did the whole deal. After the lesson, I go up to the instructor, and I say, hey, thank you so much for the time that you're spending with Scout. But it's probably me, probably not you. It's probably an us issue. But it doesn't seem to be working out. She says, what do you mean? I said, she's, we go swimming as a family. She just, she doesn't swim. She cannot swim. This girl cannot swim. She's like, no, Denny, she, she can swim. I go, no, she cannot. Yes, she can swim. Do you realize that when I'm out there in the pool with her, that as she's swimming across, I'm not holding her. She's swimming. I just have my arms under her in case, in case she starts, you know, to sink. I, I'm there. I go, really? She's like, yeah, she can swim just fine. Huh. Okay. Next day we go swimming. Everybody's jumping in, you know, trip. Everybody's getting ready. Scout's about to jump in. I'm like, Scout, Scout, come here, come here. Scooter, listen. Come here, come here. Listen here, baby. What I'm about to do to you, you're not going to understand. <laughs> and there, highly possible, you're going to end up in counseling at some point in your life for this. <laughs> She's like, why, Daddy? I just picked that girl up and I threw her. <laughs> and my son, I could see my little 11-year-old over here going, no, he didn't. But I did. <laughs> just threw her. She gets in the water. I wait for a second. See, see if she's going to come up to the top, you know. And, you know, another second later, she comes bubbling up to the top. And then she comes swimming all the way back to the pool. And she gets out. And I go, good job, Scout, good job, you know. And she goes, where's mom? <laughs> I was like, no, 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 you're fine, you're fine. You did good, you did good. Where's mom? And then she bolts over to Bridget. And she goes, mom. And I'm like, oh, no. Oh, this isn't good. She goes, Mom, I could swim. And I'm like, 
Yes. Hey, here's the deal. If my daughter started drowning, am I jumping in? Of course I am. You don't need to call CPS. Right? I'm jumping in. But when I know that, that there's something in her, she's got the fight to swim, I'm not going to be okay with her waiting in the shallow end. Because I am trying to raise children that love Jesus so much that they're willing to give everything for them. I want them in the deep end. I want them swimming hard. And the only way they're going to get there is when I put them out there. And I'm there and I'm saying, I'm here. You won't be overwhelmed. Dad is with you. We're looking at true north. That is where your affections are. It's on the things of God. It's on God himself. And so let me ask you, if your son or your daughter was bringing home all C's, C plus, all C pluses, but they love Jesus more than anybody you've ever met, would you be happy? Would you be happy? It's a tough thing to wrestle through. Like I know the conversation I'm having. Son, you know, care a little. Try a little harder. But at the end of the day, it's like C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis said, I hope that the day I die, there will be an applaud from hell because I am no longer in the fight. That's the type of kid I want. And that type of kid does not come through isolating. That type of kid does not come through just giving them all protection. That kid does not come by not exposing them. We get them in the deep water so that they can tread the deep end for the sake of the kingdom. I want to see a mighty warrior for the sake of Christ. I don't care what they do. I don't. I just want them to love Jesus and make a difference in the world. It was... James, it was Jim Elliot. Jim Elliot was a missionary to Ecuador. And before he went, his parents were so upset that he got his education and then ended up going to the mission field. What a waste. Is in their mind. What a total waste. And we know that Jim Elliot actually lost his life on the shores of Ecuador. He was a martyr for the sake of Christ. In a, letter, in a letter that he pins back to his parents about their disapproval of him leaving, this is what he says Upon his departure, Jim Elliot writes this. He says, I do not wonder that you were saddened at the word of my going to South America. This is nothing else than what the Lord Jesus warned us of when he told the disciples that they must become so infatuated with the kingdom and following, uh, and following him that all other allegiances must become as though they were not. He never excluded the family tie. In fact, those loves which we regard as closest, he told us we must become as hate in comparison with our desire to uphold his cause. Grieve not then, mom and dad, if your son seems to desert you, but rejoice. Rather, sing the will of God gladly done. Remember how the psalmist described children. He said that they were as a heritage from the Lord and that every man should be happy who had his quiver full of them. Mom, Dad, what is a quiver full of but of arrows? And what are arrows for but to shoot? So with the strong arms of prayer, draw the bowstring back and let the arrows fly, every single one of them, straight to the enemy's host. What are we trying to raise up? Well-adjusted? happy kids or kids 
who will have a significant impact for the kingdom for all eternity. If your quiver is full, pull back that bowstring. Right? Parent your children how God parents you. And this is the promise we have, Proverbs 22. Train up a child in the way they should go. Train them towards true north. And what? When they are old, they shall never depart. Are they going to be perfect? Nope. Are they going to do a little sideways here and there? Probably. But the promise is you control the launch. And God says they won't depart from it. Just make sure that you control the launch. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this this morning. We thank you that you parent us. We thank you that we can call you Father through your through your Son Jesus Christ, your blood purchased salvation for us that was freely given to us. We thank you. And Lord, we pray that your grace will be sufficient in all of our endeavors, whether it's in parenting or it's being a grandparent. Lord, that your grace will be sufficient. Where we are weak, will you be strong? And Lord, may we have an eternal perspective and passion for what you're trying to accomplish in the lives of our children. And Lord, we, we respond today just knowing that we are your children. We are the sons and daughters of the Most High. You are our perfect Father. And you are a perfect Father because of the accomplished works of Jesus on the cross. And so as we conclude our morning together in our time of worship, Lord, as we take of the bread in communion, and we, let us be reminded of the body of Christ that was broken on our behalf. As we take of the cup, let us be reminded of the blood of Christ that was spilt for us. And as we do it, we do it in remembrance of you.